morning. I'd like you to join me in your Bibles in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Maybe you heard about the house painter who was a low bidder to paint a church building. He needed the job really bad, so he bid really low. About halfway through the job, he realized he was running short on paint, and rather than buying more, he just put some water in with it and kind of thinned it out. About three quarters of the way through, he realized he wasn't going to make it to the end, so he put some more water in the paint and thinned it out, and got just enough paint to finish the job, and he stepped back and looked at it and thought, it really looks good, nobody's going to know. About that moment, a dark cloud rolled in, lightning struck, torrents of rain came down, washed the thin paint off the church building. The fellow fell to his knees in the puddle of thinned out paint and said, God, I'm sorry, what should I do? And a voice came out of heaven saying, repaint, repaint, and thin no more. The theme of our passage this morning, chapter 7, verses 8 to 10, is repentance. Repainting is nice, but repenting is essential. In fact, it's one of the most important truths in the Bible. It's mentioned over 100 times. It was the primary message of the Old Testament prophets who said, Repent and sin no more. When Jesus began to preach, it was his first word. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You know, even though it's such a prevalent message, I wonder if we really know what it means to repent. So I have entitled this message, Repentance for Dummies, assuming that we're all familiar with the Four Dummies series of books. The first was published in 1991 and was entitled, DOS for Dummies. Some publishers turned down the book for fear that the title would offend people, but quite the opposite. The Four Dummies books have sold over 35 million copies. They've been published in 33 different languages. There are over 1,700 titles from accounting for dummies to car washing for dummies to neurosurgery for dummies. The tagline for neurosurgery says, for those who love ER but hate the idea of going to medical school. The success of the Four Dummies books is due to the fact that the writer assumes that the readers don't know anything about the topic. And so he makes it very easy and very simple. And that's the approach I want to take this morning with repentance. I want to lay it out in its most basic fashion. And we will begin with the ABCs of repentance. You know, some people think it's hard to become a Christian, that it's complicated to become a Christian. It's so easy to become a Christian that a little child can become a believer. The reason adults often miss it is because they stumble over its simplicity. It's kind of like Naaman in the Old Testament. He was told to go dunk himself seven times in the Jordan River, and he would be healed from his leprosy, and he didn't want to do it. 
because it wasn't complicated enough. It wasn't hard enough. It wasn't challenging enough. Becoming a Christian is not complicated. It's very easy. And if you want to know what repentance is, it's as simple as ABC. But here's the catch. It involves your mind. You have to admit your sin. It involves your emotions. You have to be sorry. And it involves your will. You have to change directions. Let's walk through the ABCs of repentance. First of all, admit you have sinned. That involves your mind. Repentance begins when we mentally acknowledge our sin. And that includes all of us because we're all sinners. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible says if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The word repent is the Greek word metanoia that literally means to change your mind. And so it means to change your mind about your sin. To stop justifying it, stop excusing it, stop denying it, stop blaming others for it, and agree with God that it's sin. There's a funny song by Anna Russell, kind of a satire on the influence of Freudian psychology today. It goes like this. I went to my psychiatrist to be psychoanalyzed to find out why I kicked my cat and blackened my friend's eye. He laid me on a comfy couch to see what he could find, and here's what he delivered up from my subconscious mind. When I was five, my mommy locked my dolly in a trunk, and so it follows naturally that I am always drunk. When I was eight, I saw my father kiss the maid one day, and that is why I feel the urge to have things my own way. At nine, I felt resentment toward my older brothers, and so it follows naturally I've poisoned all my lovers. But I'm so happy now to see the lesson this has taught. Everything I do that's wrong is someone else's fault. The first step of repentance requires that you take full responsibility for your sins. And I think it should go without saying that the one that I admit it to is God, whom I've offended, and whoever else I may have offended in the process. I say that because there's a deep-seated need in the human heart to seek forgiveness. I think people feel the weight of their sin. They feel the guilt of their sin. And they're desperately seeking ways to unload it. Back on the internet today, there are sites called apology websites. You can do a Google search. There's Joe Apology. Yes, I confess.com. Confessionsforyou.com, anonymous confessions, e-admit. You can make an e-admission online. And as you might guess, the majority of these confessions are spouses who are unfaithful to their husband or wife. But here are a few others that I read. I'm truly sorry I said I couldn't wait to turn 18 so I could leave this house. 
I turn 18 tomorrow and I want to stay forever. I'm sorry for all the secrets I've been keeping. I'm sorry it takes so much to reveal them. I'm sorry I've been hiding under a disguise. I'm sorry I erased my name on my end of the nine weeks test and put one of my classmates' names. I just didn't want to disappoint you with my grade. Sorry I lied. I'm sorry I never went to your funeral. I was a pregnant teenager, so I didn't want to be seen. And I never really liked the girl who told me you died. I was so wrapped up in my own shame that I never showed. Although we grew up together, I don't even know how you died. One side is called group hug. As other people read your anonymous confession, they can click a button to either give you a hug or give you a shrug, which says, I don't care. You know, as I read these sites and read these confessions, I was saddened to realize that people are sending their anonymous confessions out into cyberspace when I know that they could find true repentance and true forgiveness if they would simply come to the Lord with those same confessions. The first step in repentance is admit it to God. Second step, be sorry about it. That involves your emotions. You see, repentance is not just a matter-of-fact process. It's not just a mental activity. In fact, let me say this and listen carefully. If repentance doesn't engage your emotions, then it's not true repentance. Look at our passage this morning, verse 8. But though I caused you sorrow by my letter, what letter? He's talking about 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is a letter confronting them about their sin, divisions, immorality, taking each other to law court. He says, for, for though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that that letter caused you sorrow, though only for a little while. I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret. You see, God uses sorrow to produce repentance. But godly sorrow, sorrow according to the will of God, sorrow that produces repentance, is not, I'm sorry I got caught. It's, I'm sorry I've rebelled against a loving God. I am sorry that I have offended my loving Father. See, this is the kind of sorrow that is heartbroken over sin. Jeremiah wrote about this sorrow in Jeremiah 31, 19. He said, after I strayed, I repented. After I came to understand, I beat my breast. I was ashamed and humiliated because I bore the disgrace of my youth. First, you admit it. Secondly, you experience sorrow over your sin. I think this is what Jesus was talking about when he said, Blessed are those who mourn. 
And if you have a problem with this, all you have to do is get yourself to see your sin the way God sees your sin. And when you do, it will break your heart. So where there's no sorrow, there's no repentance. A.W. Tozer understood this. Here's what he wrote. We have reduced repentance to a change of mind. It is a mental act indeed, but I point out that repentance is not likely to do us much good until it ceases to be a change of mind only and becomes a wound within our spirit. No man has truly repented until his sin has wounded him near to death. And he sees himself as the one who nailed his Savior on the tree. Until we allow the consciousness of sin to wound us, we will never develop a fear of evil. Do a thorough job of repenting. Do not hurry to get it over with. Let godly sorrow do her healing work. C in the ABCs of repentance is change your direction, and that involves your will. Repentance involves not only a change in your mind, but a change in your behavior. It's not enough to simply say, I'm guilty, I feel sorry about it. There needs to be a change. What I found interesting in reading these websites, I heard people acknowledge that they were wrong, but I didn't hear anybody say, I'm going to change. In fact, they didn't want to change because they weren't talking to the person they had offended. They were talking anonymously. So there was no one to hold them accountable. True repentance involves a change in behavior. Paul said it this way in Acts 26.20. Repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. John the Baptist said, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. You see, true repentance is evident in your actions. If you admit it and feel sorry about it and don't turn around, that's not repentance. Last time I was in St. Louis, I was staying downtown and, and uh, I was going back to the hotel. It was nighttime and I was traveling down to the hotel and I, I noticed my surprise that there were no traffic lights on the street and uh, so I came to one intersection there was no traffic light so I went through the intersection kind of baffled came to the next intersection still no traffic light I'm thinking is the power off and I noticed that the crosswalk light was working but there was no traffic light so I went through the intersection Came to the third intersection, still no traffic light, went through the intersection, and then it dawned on me that the reason there were no traffic lights is because I was going the wrong way on a one-way street. I admitted it. I'm an idiot. I am breaking the law. I was sorry. Trust me, I thought, you know, I could have killed somebody if they were coming the other way. I'm just, thank you, God, that there was nobody coming through that intersection when I just blew through it. But I really showed repentance when I did a U-turn. That's probably illegal, too. 
You see, some people acknowledge their sin and feel sorry about their sin, but they treat repentance like a stop sign. They stop, they pause, they feel bad about it, and what do they do? They go on. Repentance is not a stop sign. Repentance is a U-turn. When you acknowledge your sin, you feel sorry about it before the Lord, and you turn around, and you go the opposite direction. Look at verse 10 again. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. There's two kinds of sorrow. There's a worldly sorrow that causes you to pause, but then you go on on that dead-end street that leads to death. Godly sorrow causes you to stop and turn around. I like the way Paul put it in speaking about the Thessalonians. He said, you turned to God from idols. What did they do? They acknowledged their idolatry. They felt bad about it, and they turned from their idolatry to God. That's repentance, 180 degrees. A good example of godly sorrow and worldly sorrow is found in two of Jesus' disciples. Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And Peter denied Jesus three times. Was Judas sorry? Absolutely. Did he admit he was wrong? Yes, he did. He went back to the chief priests and he said, I have betrayed innocent blood. In fact, he took the 30 pieces of silver and he threw it at them. But then he went out and committed suicide. You see, that was worldly sorrow. He came to a stop sign. He stopped. He paused. He admitted he felt sorry. Then he went on, ending in death. After Peter's denial, we're told that he went out and wept bitterly. But unlike Judas, he remained with the followers of Jesus, and he was one of the guys running to the empty tomb on resurrection morning. You see, that is godly sorrow that produced repentance. And so repentance is as simple as ABC. Admit you have sinned. Don't excuse it. Don't justify it. Agree with God that you're guilty. Second, be sorry, which means your heart is broken over the way you've offended God. And then thirdly, change directions. Turn from your sin to Jesus. And then secondly, and simply, I want to show you the results of repentance. Because verse 10 says that godly sorrow produces repentance without regret. You will never regret true repentance. Why not? Because it results in, first of all, salvation for unbelievers. Look at verse 10. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. About 50 days after Peter denied that he knew Jesus, he stood up in the streets of Jerusalem and declared that Jesus is Lord and that he rose from the dead. And the people listening were cut to the heart and they asked Peter, what shall we do? And what was Peter's first word? He said, repent. 
In 2 Timothy 2.25, Paul says, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. Let me say something I, I think you need to understand. And that is, salvation doesn't happen without repentance. Salvation will not happen without repentance. Why? Because you can't do a U-turn. You can't change yourself. You can't stop and say, I'm not going to sin anymore, now I'm going to do just good things. The only thing you can do is stop and turn around and turn to Jesus for salvation. You see, it's two sides of the same coin. Repentance and salvation go together. You turn from your sin to Him for salvation, and He transforms, He changes your life. Jesus said there are two roads. There's a broad road that leads to destruction, and many are traveling on it. And then He said there's a narrow road that leads to life, and few find it. I think oftentimes the narrow road that leads to life is right in the middle of the broad road going the opposite direction. You have to stop, turn around, and enter that narrow gate. And who is that narrow gate? That narrow gate is Jesus, who transforms your life. But see, you can't continue going down the broad road and go on the narrow road as well. You have to turn from the broad road and enter that gate and embrace Jesus Christ. That's repentance. So let me ask you a personal question today. Have you repented and turned to Jesus Christ for salvation? Second result of repentance is restoration for believers. Repentance is not a one-time act that happens only when you become a Christian. Repentance is a lifestyle every Christian must live. Can I be honest with you this morning? As a Christian, I sin every day. Do you know what I'm thankful for? My sin does not affect my relationship with God. I'm still His son. But my sin does affect my fellowship with God. And it's through repentance that my fellowship with God is restored. great illustration of that is in the life of King David. The Bible calls him a man after God's own heart. And yet David fell into the sin of adultery and murder. And for a time he hid his sin and thought nobody knew about it. And God graciously sent Nathan along, a friend who confronted him about his sin. And as a result of that, David repented. And we have the words of his prayer of repentance in Psalm 51. He says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. You see, David hadn't lost his salvation. He had lost the joy of his salvation. And it was repentance that restored that fellowship with God. It was repentance that brought back that joy. So let me ask you another personal question. If you're a Christian here this morning, when is the last time you repented? Not the last time you just gave a list of sins to God and ran on and did them again. 
The last time you admitted your sin and you were broken over your sin and you turned away from your sin to embrace Jesus Christ afresh. Maybe the reason you're not experiencing the joy in your Christian life is because you haven't really come to the agencies of repentance. Thirdly, salvation, restoration, and then celebration in heaven. Did you know that there's a celebration in heaven every time a person repents? Jesus said, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now notice, it doesn't say the angels rejoice. It says there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God. Who's in the presence of the angels of God? God is. God is rejoicing every time someone repents, and I think that would include believers who have died, who are in the presence of the angels of God. That's an exciting thought. Maybe somebody who has been praying for you. Maybe your grandma who prayed for you and prayed for you and prayed for you, and now in heaven, when you come to repentance, guess what? She's dancing in celebration because her heart was poured into you to see that happen. So when you're experiencing godly sorrow, guess what? Heaven is rejoicing. Because godly sorrow is the very best thing that can happen to you. Because it turns your life around. And right after Jesus said the words in Luke 15 that heaven rejoices over one sinner who repents, he told a story. A story about a father who had two sons. The youngest son came to his dad and asked for his inheritance. Now, what he was really saying was, God, or, Dad, I, I don't want to wait for you to die. I want my money now. So he gave him his share of the inheritance. And the Bible says he went into a far country and squandered it on loose living. Later in the chapter, we find out what that means because his brother tells us, his older brother says he spent his money on prostitutes. Well, when all his money was gone, in desperation, he hired himself to a hog farmer and found himself feeding swine. And in the pig pen, we see him demonstrate the ABCs of repentance. First involved his mind. The Bible says he came to his senses. And he admitted that he had sinned. In fact, he prepared his speech for his father when he got home. And his speech was this, Father, I have sinned against you and against heaven. That's the A. He admitted his sin. Second, he became sorry. That involved his emotions. So sorry that he said, I'm not worthy to be my father's son. He came to grips with his sin and it made him so sorry. He said, I'm not even worthy be a son anymore. I'm going to go home and see if I can just be a slave in my father's house. He admitted his sin. He was sorry for his sin. But third involved his will. He changed direction. He didn't stay in the pig pen. He got up out of the pig pen and he came home. And the Bible tells us while he was still a long way off and before he could get any words out of his mouth, his father saw him and felt compassion for him. And his father 
ran and embraced him and kissed him and put a robe on him and a ring on him and sandals on his feet. And he said, kill the fatted calf. We're going to celebrate. Because my son, who was dead, is now alive. My son, who was lost, is now found. Let me ask you one final personal question this morning. Are you in the pig pen? You may look nice and clean today, but I'm talking spiritually. Are you in the pig pen? Salvation, restoration, and celebration is as easy as ABC. What is keeping you from repenting today? Drop your excuses and admit your sin to God. Let Him break your heart over your sin and sorrow. And then change directions. Turn from the things that you are following now, that you're engaged in now. Turn from your sin and the broad road that leads to destruction and embrace Jesus Christ. That's repentance for dummies. But I'll say this. Repentance is the smartest thing you will ever do in your life. I'm going to have the praise team come back. We're going to close with a couple songs. While we do, I want you to take this time to get serious with God, to ask God, what is it in my life that needs to be dealt with? God, shine your light on me and reveal the sin in my life that I'm not dealing with. Or maybe you've never come to Christ and the sin is just that you're a sinner. That's your admission. God, break me over that sin and cause me to turn away from my sin and embrace Jesus Christ, the only one who can give me salvation, restoration, and celebration, the joy of my salvation.